And so, just a quick review of last week, that uh, verse 18, or two weeks ago, when it says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. We do not believe like the Catholics that Peter is the rock the church is built upon, therefore Peter is the first pope, and Catholicism is the true religion, like they try to teach from that. But, Peter is part of the foundation. We see in Ephesians, I believe it was, where the foundation, of course, is Jesus Christ, but it's laid on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So Peter definitely is a part of the foundation. And when the Bible talks about the foundation being the apostles and the prophets, it's specifically referring to the Word of God, to the Bible that we have. This is our foundation, and Peter wrote part of the Bible. And so verse 19, though, where it says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What was that talking about? What was he doing there? Well, first of all, I believe that what was going on here in verse 19, Jesus was telling His disciples, basically, He was going to he was giving them the authority to lay the foundation of the church. The apostles, they did lay the foundation, humanly speaking. Jesus Christ, I understand He's the chief cornerstone. He is what it's all about. But humanly speaking, the apostles were the ones that kicked things off. They were the ones that started it. They laid the foundation. They set the pattern. They even, you can say, made up the rules. And we'll show you how that, how that happened in a little bit. But Jesus gave them that authority to lay the foundation of the church. Go to Matthew 18 and verse 15. Matthew 18 and verse 15. It says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. A Christian that will not listen to what the church has to say, to what the church teaches. Okay? You might as well treat him like a lost person, okay? You, and we talked about this a while back, how you, know, you could not get a lost person if there's a dispute between you and a lost person. You're not going to be able to bring them here to the church and us take the Bible and say, look, this is what the Bible says to do and get them to listen when our own laws don't back us up. I mean, do you really think that's going to work? You know, if there's a thief out there that you catch trying to steal something from you, okay, you don't you don't call me as a pastor and say, Hey, I caught this guy stealing, and then I go over there and I like, Sir, according to the Bible, you need to pay him fourfold. Alright, do you think he's gonna listen? Absolutely not. You know you know what you have to because of the laws in our country, you gotta call the cops, don't you? And you know, they'll they'll throw him in jail and instead of you know you getting back what he stole uh, they'll take some of your tax money to put them away, right? You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd rather the fourfold thing. Okay, I would. I'd be inviting people to steal from me then, but um, we don't do that. Uh, we don't do that in this country, and so um, you know, I guess they should lock them up. Ab- you know, I'm absolutely for that. But lost people aren't going to listen. But a Christian person, they should. They should listen. And it's not so much when he when he talks about the church. It's not so much that okay, what we're going to do whenever there's a dispute between the two of you, all right? You know, brother, let's say brother Lonnie and brother Eric, they get into a dispute. We're going to say, all right, well, you know what? They're a part of the church. The church should be deciding. So we go and we bring you guys all up here 
you know, we let you give your case. You know, Brother Lonnie, hey, I, you know, he goes up and he tells his story. You know, then Brother Eric gets up and he tells his story. Then, all right, church, we're all going to vote on it and see what's right or wrong. Is that what the Bible's saying we should do? Because, boy, if we did that, I could see a lot of church splits happening over something like that. You know, and but what we're supposed to do when it talks about the church is we're supposed to be able to take the Bible and say, look, this is what the Bible says to do in that situation, and this is what you should do. And if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you ought to do what the Bible says, shouldn't you? Okay. Now, obviously, the Bible's not. You know, Jesus wasn't giving them the authority to throw people in jail if they didn't do it. But he said, "Let him be as a heathen and a publican, somebody who is outside the church." And sometimes you might have to remove somebody from the church. But then, in verse eighteen, he says, "Verily I say unto you, whosoever or whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth." shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask it, ask it shall be done for them of My Father which is in heaven. For two or three are gathered in My name, there am I in the midst of them. So we see that phrase again where what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And Jesus Christ was trying to show that the authority that God has given the church, what we do here, okay, is basically, you know, heaven's in agreement with it. That heaven backs it up. Okay? Our rules and our beliefs, wouldn't it be nice if the things that we taught and the things we believed, our government was for it and backed us up on it? And, you know, thankfully they do in a few things. Thankfully you're still not allowed to murder people. Uh, I'm, you know, you're still not allowed to steal. I'm glad we have, you know, they have our backs on that. But, you know, imagine if we had the back up there that if, there was agreement there, and we actually did have the ability and the authority to judge things according to the Bible. And if you guys did have a dispute and you didn't like what we had to say, and you went to the outside court instead, they're like, hey, our Bible says the same thing your Bible says, and they came up with the same judgment. Can you imagine how much better things would be in the world? It would be kind of like in homes when children, if they, when they don't get their way from dad, and they went to mom, and mom would say the same thing that dad does instead of them working him against each other, wouldn't things be a lot better in the home if there was agreement there? And the truth is, uh, you know, there's not agreement in the world today with the Bible, and it causes problems. And there's not agreement in homes today, and according and the Bible says, and what Jesus is trying to teach here is that. He's telling the apostles that what you bind on earth, this foundation that you lay, this system that you set up, we're backing it up in heaven. We agree in heaven with what you're doing. And boy, that's that's big stuff right there. I mean, that's important. Now, does that mean, okay, so since the Bible says, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, you know, we're, you know, if, Two of you agree on as touching anything, you know. Then, does that mean that us as a group here today, that we can go and kind of make some new rules? Because, and listen, think about this. You know, who started Sunday night church? You know, who started Wednesday night church? Where in the Bible does it say you have to meet for church? Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Sunday night, 6 o'clock. Where do you see Sunday school in the Bible? 
Where do you see Wednesday evening Bible study? Where does it spell that out? I can't find it in the Bible. Well, it says not forsaking the assembly. Okay, but where does it say we have to assemble three times in a week? Why do we? Ha- why are we doing that? Why do we have to do that? And you know, what is that based on? Well, I, I think we'll find out in a little bit exactly what's going on, and you'll see that having Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, is completely appropriate. But first of all. This foundation that they laid. Okay, we talked about it last week. We're not going to go into it a whole lot more, but we know that the foundation that they laid was the scripture. It was the apostles and it was the prophets. And that means that prophets is talking about the Old Testament. And Moses, he was named among the prophets. The books of Moses, that includes them. You know, the Daniel and uh, even David, it mentions. It specifies David's writing as his being part of the prophets and the Psalms. Those are the prophets, they are the foundation. For the church, and you see, and so today, I believe we're more limited on what kind of things we can institute today, because the foundation for the church it was completed with the Word of God. Okay, so when God gave them that authority, you know, to lay the foundation, whatsoever shall bind on us shall be bound in heaven. He was, to, I believe, they had what you could you could say a little extra ability to institute things. Because all they had then was the Old Testament, didn't they? But now today, we have the Old and New Testament. We have the completed Scriptures. And I do not believe that we have the ability to lay more foundation. Okay? So, well, you know, I'm going to claim that verse. And I know the foundation has already been laid. But you know what? What's wrong with adding to the foundation? You know? So I'm going to write the book of Tommy. And I'm gonna I'm gonna come out with a new King James edition uh, that had you know that would clearly be wrong because God gave that to the apostles okay to lay the foundation and that's done and they laid the foundation for the church with it, with the completing of the New Testament writings we have see when the apostles started out they only had the Old Testament when they went around preach they only had the Old Testament to preach out. And while here on earth, God He inspired them to write the New Testament, and that gave them that gave us more scripture, and it gave us more specifications. Because and we're going to see some of this a little bit. But when you look in the Book of Acts, and when you look in many of Paul's epistles and some of the other epistles, you will see where they were giving them basically making rules for the church. I mean, they are they're setting things up, they're laying that foundation, but every time. They instituted anything in the church. They always based it off an Old Testament scripture. It, sometimes those Old Testament scriptures, it wasn't even something that was spelled out, but they would see a pattern there, and they would say, "Okay, we are going to do this in the church." The apostles made it up. Jesus didn't tell them to do it. The apostles literally—they did. They made it up, but it was based off an Old Testament scripture. Just like Brother Fritz last week, he. He came up, he made up his own method that he's going to use to start those churches, but it was based off of a pattern you saw in the New Testament. It wasn't even based off a command in the New Testament, but it was based off a pattern, and that's just like what we see the apostles doing. And let's look at some of these examples. Go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. And this is where I believe we can literally see the apostles laying the foundation for the church. 
And Acts chapter 15, we'll, we'll probably jump around here, but we'll start reading in verse 1. It says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Okay? And we know that's a false doctrine, don't we? But that was coming into the church. And it says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. You see, they all the apostles decided, hey, we've got to get together and we've got to come up with an answer for this. Because you know what? And the said so there's this new stuff going on. This is a new teaching that's going on. This whole thing with Jesus Christ and the gospel message, it was new. Okay? It wasn't something that was in the Old Testament. There was pictures of it in the Old Testament, but it wasn't spelled out. But circumcision was very, very important in the Old Testament. And now they're in, you know, they're in this New Testament era. Things are different now to a certain extent. And people are teaching that you had to be circumcised to go to heaven. So what are they going to do? So they get together, verse 3, and being brought on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. And they declared all things that God had done with them. Do you know, before this, there was... The Jews were the apostles were pretty much only going to the Jews. They weren't really spending a whole lot of time working on the Gentiles. It was basically just with the Jews. And then, if you remember in Acts chapter ten, there was the story of Peter and the conversion of Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and he received the Holy Ghost. And Peter realized that hey, salvation—it's not just to the Jews; it's to the Gentiles. And they come back and they're all talking about how God's saving Gentiles too. He's given them the gift of the Holy Ghost too. And we're not going to take time to read this whole chapter, but here in this chapter, the apostles got together and they instituted going to the Gentiles and not just the Jews. They made that, they made that rule up. They came up with it all by themselves. They decided to do that, to start preaching to the Gentiles. And then they got to talking about the circumcision and some of those ceremonial things of the law. And they got together and they said, no, we are not going to do this. We are not going to teach this. And if you read through there, many times they would refer to Old Testament Scriptures. In fact, um, look, go down to verse... Go down to verse 10. It says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. They went and they looked, there, they, they looked back at their past history. They, had, they looked back at the Old Testament. They looked at the stories in you know, First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. They looked at Joshua and Judges. And they said, you know what? Looking back at the Scriptures, none of us ever kept the law. Our fathers weren't able to do it. And why are we telling these people that they have to do it? Nobody ever kept the law. And we know that salvation is by grace. And so they went and they started teaching then that circumcision wasn't necessary for salvation. They started teaching these things about you know works of the law not being what gets to heaven. They, start, they instituted 
teaching to the Gentiles. And there's a lot of things. We don't have time to go into all of them there. But go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But that's where we see the apostles. They were actually all come, actually coming together and they are laying the foundation. They are making the rules. They are, But all of it was based off of Old Testament principles. Not necessarily commands, but Old Testament principles. In, verse, in chapter 7 and verse 1, it says, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. And if you go through and you read all this, he's given these commands to married people. Now, these a lot of what we teach about marriage, a lot of what we teach about divorce is based off of Paul's writings that are in addition addition to Old Testament writings. We know more about what God expects now than what they did back then. Why? Because before we had the book of 1 Corinthians, the foundation wasn't completed. And Paul, he did. He kind of completed that. And then, if you go down and you go through 13 and 14, it's talking about divorce and what God expects there. And then... Uh, we're not, so we don't have time to go through each of these things and talk about you know marriage and divorce. But he was making the rules. Now, was this Paul just in his own mind saying, you know what, I like these rules. Let's do it. No. But it was Paul's writings and it was under the influence of the Holy Ghost. And we should follow these teachings to the letter like, Paul's, like Paul taught because this is our foundation. If you go over into 1 Timothy chapter 5, all right, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. I want to show you something over there. I wish we had time to go verse by verse through all of these things, but we'd be here all night, and I know you don't want to do that. But look at this right here. You can't find this anywhere in the Old Testament. Okay? But look at what Paul said. He, he, just, he came up with this. And it's Scripture. He says, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old having been the wife of one man. Talking about taking widows in the church to be servants in the church. He said, don't take a widow in that's under threescore or 60 years old. Okay, Don't do it. Uh, if she's over 60, if she's been the wife of one man, verse 10, well reported up for good works. If she have brought up children, if she have lodged strangers, if she have washed the saints' feet, if she have relieved the afflicted, if she have diligently followed every good work. But the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Say, so if you take them in and they're younger, when things get difficult, you know what? They're going to be like, forget this. I want a husband. And they're going to go and get married. And then verse 12 says, "...having damnation, because they have cast off their first faith, and withal they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house." And we all know that verse right there. You know, Not only idle, but tattlers and busybodies. And Paul here, he's laying out some rules for the church. And these things are to be followed. It was the Apostle Paul that taught things like a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. That's why we don't believe in women preachers. That's, you can't have a wife if you're a woman. And don't look at me like, yes, you can. We, we live in America. Uh, no, not, not according to the Word of God. You, you can't do it. You can't have a wife 
and be a woman. And it's very clear that it's supposed to be a man. But he, these rule, and people will say, well, Paul was a male chauvinist. And I had a Pentecostal lady tell me that, that Paul was a male chauvinist. And therefore, it is okay. He's, Paul specifically said not to allow women to speak in church. And it, he said, speak in tongues. And this lady speaks spoken tongues in her church. And I said, well, you're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> uh, why not? <laughs> well, women aren't supposed to do it. And oh, she got so mad. And she did. She's, you know, Paul was a male chauvinist. But you know what? Paul was the apostle. God gave Paul the authority to lay the foundation for the church. And the foundation that they laid was the Scriptures that we have today. And these rules and things that they taught in here, they were, they were from man, but they had the authority to do that. God gave it to them. We see that back in Matthew chapter 16 that we read when He said, "...whatsoever you will bind on earth shall be bound in heaven." And you know what? We believe the Scriptures, the Word of God, it's in heaven today. We see that in the Bible. The Word of God is in heaven. But yet these things are the writings of man. You can see their own personality in there sometimes. And I understand it was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, but these were their words. These were their decisions. But understand that God was totally in on it God was for it. He wouldn't have allowed them to write anything and have it be in the Bible that he was not okay with. But I just want to get that across to you that yes, man did set up what we have today. Man did write this book under the inspiration of God. And you know what? Heaven is in agreement with this Bible that we have here today. I believe if we could go to heaven and we could pull a copy of the Word of God out of heaven, I believe it would match up with the Word of God that we have right here. We it would it would agree. It, why why was they why were they able to do that? It's a miraculous thing. God inspired them to do it. God gave them the authority. They had every right to do that. Jesus Christ did. Remember when he said I he said um, he was going to get the keys of death and hell. And Jesus did. He died for three days. We talked about that two weeks ago. And He went down to hell and He came out of there and He had the keys of death and hell. And I believe that He... go. He And then uh, when he, after the resurrection in the upper room, He breathed on His disciples and He said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. He was transferring that authority to them. He gave them the authority to write the Word of God. Now, did He give me the authority? to write the Word of God. No. I'm not an apostle. I've not seen Jesus Christ. And also, the last apostle that was alive, John, in the final book that he wrote, he said, don't add to or take away. And you know what? I have no business writing another book. Apostles, they're done. There was only 12. And they were the ones that laid the foundation and... What they did was good. What they did was okay. And we have it in the Word of God. And so, churches today though, so okay, well what if, you know, well I need to back up a little bit. So these commands and the rules, they were all based off Old Testament Scriptures. In the book of Acts, when they're laying these things out, they are constantly in the book of Acts referring to Old Testament Scriptures. Since we've been doing this study in Romans, I am amazed that I never even realized how much of Romans is quoting Old Testament Scripture. 
I mean, there is constantly they, the apostles did that, and that's why the New Testament and Old Testament agree so perfectly with each other. And their commands and their rules they were based off of Old Testament scriptures, and some of the things they instituted were based off words that they heard Jesus speak themselves, words that are not recorded in the Gospels. For example. The verse in the Bible, it says that we remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When did Jesus say that? Look that up in the Gospels. You won't find it. It's not in the Gospels. But, those who are writing it, they heard Him say it. Okay, And He said it. And it's in the Word of God. So we know Jesus said it. We don't know when He said it. We don't know why He said it. But it's in there. And... Part of what they taught was based off of things they heard Jesus speak themselves. For example, some of the prophecy things that the Apostle Paul teaches. Okay? It's like, where did he get that? I imagine he probably got it from some of the other disciples. But where did they get it? Because you know what? Matthew 24 doesn't record that. You know, where did the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 get. The behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all sleep. Not all sleep. We shall all be changed in the moment twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Where, you know, where did he get that last trump thing from? Because you know what? You can't find anything about the last trump in the Old Testament. Unless that whole Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement thing is correct. But it's like, how could he have gotten that? Well, maybe Jesus told the disciples a few things. There's a lot of prophetical stuff that the, the apostles wrote about, stuff that Peter wrote about, that we don't see in the Old Testament, that we don't even hear from the mouth of Jesus in the Gospels. But Jesus told them some things. And what we needed to know, He passed on to them, and it's contained in their epistles. And we're not going to go and say, you know what, that verse in Acts where it says it is more blessed to give than to receive, that should be taken out of the Bible because we can't find it in the Gospels where that was stated. No, it, it acts as part of the Bible. Those apostles, they heard the words of Jesus. And so they recorded some things that aren't in the Gospel. And that was fine. They had the authority to do that. They had the right to do that. So, But churches today though, so what kind of authority do we have today? Because the truth is we can't add to Scripture. We can't make a new book even if it comes from an angel. All right? So that throws the Mormon religion out. Okay, Mormons are done. Uh, they, they got their Book of Mormon that they supposedly got from an angel. Not allowed to do that. The Bible was very clear not to receive another gospel even if an angel gave it. But for some reason, they... you know, And that's the thing that's aggravating. Mormons are supposedly King James Bible believers. But they obviously don't believe that verse, do they? And Otherwise, they wouldn't have the Book of Mormon. But churches today, though, we have the authority... To judge smaller matters. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So now, now we're to this why do we have Sunday night church, Wednesday night church? Why do we do it at 10? You know, why do we do it at 6? You know, the truth is, if we stop doing this, a lot of preachers will get mad at it. Get mad at us. And a lot of people would have a problem with it. If we said, you know what, we're not doing Wednesday evening Bible study, a lot of people would have a problem with that. And a lot of people will say, well, you can't show me in the Bible where it says you have to do it that way, so you know what? I'm not going to do it. Well, you know, let's see if that's a good attitude. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust 
and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. Okay? So, right here he's saying, folks, you're going to judge angels one of these days. You have, you should have the ability to judge the smaller matters. And you know what? The Bible does not lay out a service time schedule for us to follow, does it? You can't find it in there. I don't know what time Jesus and His disciples met. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what time the Apostle Paul had services. I do know one time he preached late into the night. Maybe we should do that tonight you know, just to be biblical uh, until you all are falling asleep. You know, at least none of you are going to fall out any windows and get killed like uh, Eutychus did. But, notice we are... God, we have the authority to judge smaller matters. And if us as a church, if we want to come together and say, you know what? The Bible says not to forsake the assembling. It talks about exhorting one another. It talks about doing it so much the more as you see the day approaching. And if churches get together and they say, you know what? We need more than just one hour a week. We need to have Sunday school classes. We need to have a Sunday evening service. We need to have a midweek Bible study. They have the authority to do that. They have, that's, that's a small matter. We can judge those things. We can make up those rules. In fact, if we wanted to, we could even, you know, I, I, I don't see what think it would be wrong for us to say, you know what, let's do Thursday evening instead of Wednesday evening. Okay? Now, we're not going to do that, and there's a, reason for, there's a reason for that. But understand that, you, you know, people are always like, you know, that man just made that up. Man made that up. Well, churches made that up, and God gave the church the authority to do that. He gave them the authority to do little things like make your own schedule. He gave them the authority to do things like you know, make your own rules. Okay, God didn't lay out a plan in the Bible and say, alright folks, here's, He didn't put you know, audio recordings of what's appropriate music and what inappropriate music is. God didn't put on here, He didn't draw pictures of appropriate dress and inappropriate dress. But, he did lay out principles in the Bible that we can look at. He talked about not being conformed to the world. He talked about, you know, he, he taught things like, you know, men dressing like men, women dressing like women. And you know what? As time goes on and as styles and trends change, we are going to have to, as a church, judge what's going on and say, is that something that we're going to follow? And if we see worldly trends that are going on, it is totally appropriate. We have the authority as a church to say, you know what? We're not having that in our church. Okay, while churches might be allowing certain types of music and certain type of instruments, okay, you know, we have the the authority to judge and say, you know what, all right, here is the rules for our church. We're not going to have electric guitars in the church. We're not going to have a drum set on the platform. We have every authority to do that, okay? And we're gonna you know, because well based off what? Where does it say you can't have drums in the Bible? Well, I don't see where it says you can't have drums in the Bible, but I do see where it says we're not supposed to be conformed to the world. And what is the main part of worldly music today? It's the percussion, isn't it? 
And so if we say, you know what, we don't want to go that way, we're keeping that out. We have every authority to do that. And we're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be judging these things. We're supposed to be paying attention to these small matters and doing something. The Bible doesn't give detailed specifics for every circumstance. So as a church, we have to make judgments, but those judgments should be based off biblical principles. We ought to have something in the Bible that we go to, you know, have an example in the Bible. And people do that all the time. You know, for one example that people use for music, and I think it's completely appropriate, because we don't have audio recordings of what they listened to back then. But they will bring up the story of the golden calf. And remember when Moses came down from the mountain and Joshua heard and said there's a there's the noise of war in the camp. And Moses said that's not the noise of war. But it was it was music that they were listening to. And you know what? I've never been in a war. I don't know for sure what it sounds like. But you know, I've heard some of this rock and roll music and stuff going on. Ah, There's kind of a warfare (laughs) feeling I get from it. Maybe that's why some of these people at rock concerts get groups that stand on opposite ends and go running into each other kind of like in wars back then. Kind of like in battles back then. What is it about that music that makes them want to do it? Maybe it's because it's the noise of war. Do we know for sure that that's what it is? No, but I think we have the right we do have the right and the authority to judge and say, you know what? That is not a part of our church. Uh, people are like, oh, these are man's rules. These are made up by man. Yes, we're supposed to do it. God didn't give specifics for every little thing. So as times change and as things as the world starts doing the things it's doing, we have to look at what's going on and we have to judge these small matters. Oh, we don't have the authority to do that. We're going to judge angels one of these days. So I think we can figure out and make rules for what kind of music we're going to have, way a Christian ought to dress, you know, what's okay to wear. I mean, does anybody think that the Apostle Paul wore a suit and tie like I'm wearing today when he was preaching? Absolutely not. Okay, I mean, do you do you think that Peter's wife, dressed like my wife, is dressed today? Okay, and and you know maybe we should just all start coming in robes and stuff like they like they wore back then. Do you think that's what God expects? Well, you know, how are we supposed to? We are going to have to judge. And guess who the most qualified people in the world are to judge? what appropriate clothing is today. Do you think it's the homos out there in California? Or do you think it's God's people? God's people. They are the best ones to do it. Who else is going to do it? And it's like, you know, people today, they criticize churches that preach strong on dress standards and things. And, you know, how dare they do that? But yet they will let the world dictate what they wear. The world says if you're, you know, if you're going swimming, it's okay to wear almost nothing, and they they'll go right along with that. That's fine. The world says it's okay to wear clothes that are so tight you can hardly breathe. That you know shows almost everything. And people they go right along with that. But if a church tries to lay a standard, if a church tries to give people some examples, everybody just goes all to pieces. They go nuts. And who do you think is better qualified? to judge how a Christian should dress 
then God's people. Because God didn't give detailed specifics on every little thing. So we're going to have to judge it. And you know what? One of these days, they might come out with, you know, the new style might be for women, you know, jumpsuits. Alright, you know, <laughs> you know, like they wear in jails and stuff, okay? Um, you know, that might become a new trendy thing. Now, most jumpsuits I've seen are pretty modest, alright? <laughs> but we are going to have to judge is this worldly? Is this following the trends of the world? And you know what? And if that happens, we might start preaching against jumpsuits. And that's completely appropriate. We're going to have to judge you know, the different hairstyles and things. Does anybody think the Apostle Paul had a comb over? Does anybody think that you know, Peter's wife did her hair like my wife does? But you know what? Say Hillary becomes president, you know? <laughs> this got you all scared right there. I saw you all get the shivers, you know, and, and Hillary, you know, she's always wants to prove how manly she is. You know, she might want to, you know, start doing her hair like her husband. Bill. All right? And if she does that, I can picture a whole lot of women doing that. And that becoming the new thing, the new trendy thing. And we are not supposed to be conformed to the world, and we're not supposed to follow what evil people are doing. And if all the women start doing their hair just like Hillary, you know what? Preachers are going to start preaching against it. We are going to have to judge and say, you know what? People shouldn't be following her. And so we're going to, we're going to preach against it. And we're going to be looked at as nuts and looked at as stupid because we don't have a Bible verse that you know, is specific on that. But we are allowed to judge these things and we're supposed to do it. Some There will be some man-made rules and it's okay as long as they're Bible-based. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll prove this to you. Okay. Now, this... I can't think of any Old Testament passage that would make Paul say what he said here, but Paul here... He's under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he's making up rules here. I'm sorry, that's just, there's, there's no other way about it. But it was okay. It, they agreed in heaven. And it says in verse 4, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. That's why we take our hats off when we pray. That's why we're in church. You know, men, we don't wear hats. We dishonor our head. What's so dishonorable about that? It says here, right here in the Bible, Paul said it. That's why. I don't understand the significance of it, but keep reading verse 5. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. For that is even all as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. Notice how he threw that, if it be a shame. Okay? Now, let me ask you, Question, is it a shame in our culture today for a woman to have short hair? No. I mean, how many have ever seen a woman with short hair and just saw a bunch of kids pointing at her and laughing? Okay, I mean, it's pretty common today, isn't it? It's it's not uncommon. Uh, and I definitely think they ought to have long hair. I'm for long hair. You can tell by looking at my wife. But... Notice, let's keep reading verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. And notice how it's talking about man short hair, woman long hair, man's in the image of God. More proof that Jesus didn't have long hair. 
That's another subject. For the man is not of the woman, the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, and even so is the man by the woman, but all things of God, judge in yourselves. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Paul was saying that for a woman to pray with her head uncovered, and that's not just talking about a head covering, but he specifies that her hair is her covering. Okay, The woman, her covering is her hair. It's a glory to her. But he was saying if she be shorn okay, or shaven, if she's got really short hair or no hair, she should have her head covered. And notice though, he says in verse 14 or 13, you know, he says, judging yourself, is it comely? Would it be a shame? And honestly, in our culture today, most people would not notice. And in verse 14, you know, doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame to him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. But if a man seem to be contentious, okay? If somebody just wants to argue, and you know what? You can't show me anything. Command in the Bible says, women shall have long hair. Okay, if somebody wants to be contentious, fine. Go ahead and let your women pray with their head uncovered. Let them pray bald. But then, notice what he said. But we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. Okay? And notice he's saying, if this is a problem, alright, and obviously the Corinthians didn't think it was a problem. And you might not think it's a problem. But he said, just so you know, if you want to be contentious, that's fine. Yeah, the command's not there. But none of the churches that I know do that. They all, their women all have their head covered. And so, okay, so back to the Sunday night, Wednesday night, all that. It's not spelled out in the Bible. There's clearly principles. There's examples that you can go out and you can see where they had service more than one time a week. In fact, if you look real close, you can see where they daily. We're doing it. I don't know if y'all. So if y'all want to complain about Wednesday, and because you want to be biblical, well, maybe we'll get real biblical and just start doing it every day. Let's see how that goes over. <laughs> but so you know, don't argue with me on that because if we get looking too close, we might find out we're not doing it enough. But understand though that he right here is showing that basically I think he's telling them, if you guys want to do that, fine. But you know the churches of God that I know they're not doing that. And if another church wants to say no Sunday night service, no Wednesday night service, okay, fine. You can do that. You have that authority to do that. But you know what? All the good churches I've known, they had service more than one time a week. I don't have, I don't have a lot of experience with good, thriving churches winning people to Christ to have people growing in the Lord that only have service one time a week. From my experience, from my judgment... I don't see anything good coming from that. From my experience, from my judgment, and I would think I would be qualified, I say, I we need to be having service more than one time a week. I mean, I I don't know how we're going to combat all the junk that people are being taught from the world every single day in just one hour a week. I think it's very clear that we need more than that. And you know what? As a church, we have decided that we are going to have the services that we have 
And that's what we're going to do. And if another church says we're not going to do that, okay, fine. It's your church. You have that authority. But sometimes they just based it off their judgment, from their experience, from the other churches that they've seen. And you know what? The churches I've been a part of, this is what they've done. I'll admit that that's why we do it. I'll admit that that's why we have the service times that we have. I'll admit it. That's Churches I've known, that's what they do. And it seems to be working. So we're going to do it too. And we have that authority. In the end, we only have the authority to make rules for our church and not someone else. That's what we said. If any man seems to be contentious, we have no such custom. Neither the churches of God. He just kind of left it at that. And that's what I'll tell people. They want to argue, hey, fine. You know, you want to do that at your church. Go right ahead. But you know what? That's not what I'm familiar with. From what I've, from what I've seen, that doesn't work. And you know what? We are going to do what we're, do, what we're doing. And if another church has another set of rules, it doesn't, necess, it doesn't mean that everyone's right. I don't like this everyone's right attitude. But if another church isn't doing something right, it's not our problem. And it really isn't. Well, that church, you know, they start their Wednesday evening service at 6 o'clock. They must be liberal. You know, we're not going to get caught up in that. That church doesn't do it. Not our problem. Well, that church, they allow rock music. That church, they don't have any dress standards. Not our problem. And you know what? We're just going to do what we've been taught. We are going, as an assembly, we have the authority to judge the small matters. And if we need, if we want to make up some rules in this church that are different than other churches, we have every right to do that. God has given us that authority to judge the small matters and the things that are not spelled out. And there's plenty of things that are not spelled out. We are the ones that are supposed to do that. And I don't think we're qualified. He's, we're going to judge angels. So we ought to be able to judge the small matters. And we need and understand too, like the verse said, and when we do these things, I believe heaven is in agreement with it. And you come to this church, and us as a church, we've decided you know, these are our meeting times, these are our rules. I believe God expects you to follow what we're doing a lot more than He expects people from other churches that don't teach that type of thing. And as far as heaven is concerned, because they're they're in agreement with what we're doing. And when you don't do it, not only are we mad at you, heaven's mad at you too. Because we see that what we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. What we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Once again, this is not giving us the authority to lay a new foundation. We can't do that. It's every Whatever we do, it should be based off of something that we see in the Scripture. We should be able to show some kind of pattern, show some kind of example, some verse, even if it's not clearly spelled out. We ought to be able to show something. And when we do, when we decide on it, when we agree on it, heaven is in agreement with us. And I don't know about you, but that's a sobering thought to me. It's like, whoa. <laughs> that's kind of, that, that's a lot of uh that's a lot of responsibility. And it's our responsibility, and we need to we can't just be letting stuff go and not paying any attention. We need to take these things serious and make sure we're doing it right. So with that, let's go ahead and stand together.